I'm Brian Shelton, and you're listening to Harper Talks, a co-production of Harper College Alumni Relations and Harper Radio. Today on Harper Talks, I'm excited to speak with Joe Plazak. Joe is a graduate of Harper College, a 2022 Distinguished Alumni Award recipient, and a senior principal software developer for Sibelius. Joe was heavily involved at Harper College, serving as a student trustee, and received his Associate of Fine Arts in Music from Harper in 2005. I'm happy to be in the WHCM studio with Joe today. Joe, how are you? I'm doing well, Brian. How are you? I am fantastic. You've had a busy day today because today was the Distinguished Alumni kind of like induction ceremony. How's the day been going? We had an amazing lunch with Dr. Proctor. I let Dr. Proctor know that... uh, how much this award means to me, and that when she called to tell me about the award, that that was actually the first time I received a call from the president's office for doing something good. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's amazing to be back on campus. Uh, a lot has changed, but a lot has stayed the same, and it's just as beautiful, and uh, yeah, it brings back all sorts of good memories and feelings to be here. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, who was president when you were a trustee here at Harper College? I was a trustee with uh, Dr. Bruder. Oh, okay. Dr. Bruder. Yeah, okay. I've met Dr. Bruder. He wasn't here when I was here, but yeah, I've, I've met Dr. Bruder in, in other occasions. Okay, cool. Um, you've had quite a career that was spawned by your time here at Harper College. What was your experience here like? Because you've done, you did a lot while you were here. What was it like here at the time? So I, I knew that I wanted to do music. I was a little bit late to the game, though. So I, I did one year at uh, Northern Illinois University, and I wasn't doing music there. I was just doing, you know, general classes. And I decided to sort of regroup over the summer after my first year. So I came to Harper just to take guitar lessons. And that's when I met Steve Savada, who sort of sung the praises of the music program here. Right. Pulled me on in. And it was it was a perfect match. I knew this is exactly what I want to do with my life. I'm going to dedicate my life to music. I didn't know what I was going to do yet. I thought I was going to be a film composer. You know, I was studying guitar. I ended up doing a lot of other things. You know, I became a university professor. I taught music theory for a while. Now I work in industry. But uh, it all started here at Harper. It all started in uh, in 2003 when I took some guitar lessons. Okay. What did your family think about you wanting to major in music? That's always a good. Uh... <laughs> So my family's always been really supportive of all the things that I want to do. I do remember uh, two conversations with my father. So one was the conversation where I said, you know, I don't know if I want to go to college. I think maybe I can just do this rock and roll thing. Sure. And that conversation sort of was very short. It just was, you're going to go to college. Yeah. And then I remember a follow-up conversation where we sort of said, um, you know, why don't you just do a liberal arts degree? Why don't you just take a bunch of general classes and let music be a part of that? And I think that was the short conversation on my end when I said, I'm going to do music. <laughs> right, right. And and it just happened. Um, honestly, I think it's pretty scary. If now, now that I have kids, if they were to say to me, I'm going to go into to music, you know, I, I think I would feel that fear. But uh, it all worked out. It's amazing how well it all worked out. It just, I don't know if I'm a super lucky person or, or how it all happened. I, I, I think really it just comes down to, I ended up meeting the right people at the right time. And they all said, run this way. And I ran that way and it worked out. Yeah. And I think that that's something that we all have to be a little more cognizant of because some of us are in these positions. Like I'm, I'm a tenured professor at a community college and I teach film history and run a radio station, right? That's like a unicorn job, right? You know, is the way that I look at it. And it's like, um, 
that's not just me. That's some luck, right? I just met the right people at the right time and the right things fell in place. And so I think it's uh, good to be honest with our students about that sort of thing as well. Too. Absolutely. So, and yeah. knowing what it is that you want to do, and you don't have to sort of jump right to that job. But if you stay, you know, if you keep taking small steps in that direction, then after 19 years of being away from a place, it's amazing. You sort of look back and you say, now I've got that unicorn job. Right. Yeah. And you do, right? Yeah. It's yeah. amazing. So how'd you become a student trustee? That's such a weird position here at the college. I mean, you're like, you're like, you're on, you're on the board. You're kind of running things at the school. How did that come about? Well, two things. The first to say is that when I came to Harper College, I didn't know anyone. So Uh I had no friends that were here. I was just, you know, sort of trying to figure things out. And I thought getting involved is a good thing to do. And so I got involved with the Harper College Student Senate because in high school, uh, I was involved with student government and had Mm -hmm. some leadership positions and, and really enjoyed that work. So I thought student senate seems like the equivalent of of you know Harper's equivalent of this, and I'll, I'll get involved. At that point, I was super lucky to uh, to meet Michael Neiman, who was the director of student activities at the time. Oh yeah, Michael. Yeah. And uh, Michael, I think helped helped me with some challenging situations as a student senator. Uh, right off the bat, we had uh, an impeachment. Uh, oh no. That we had that had to be handled, and it had to be handled the right way. And as a 19-year-old, that's, that's a pretty heavy task. Mm-hmm. But I felt like I was up to it. And I went around and I asked people you know, for help. And I thought we did a good job. So uh, from there, I sort of found other opportunities to, to be a student leader. And the student trustee position was coming open in my second year here. And I thought, why not? I'll throw my name in the hat. <laughs> and I took some pictures and you know, printed them out on a piece of paper and stuck my face all around campus. And, and I really think it was the music department that came together for me. I think every music student voted in the election that day, and, and I became the student trustee. You just got to get a good group to come out and vote, right? Because <laughs> right? not everybody votes in that election. And so. you're going to find yeah. a, a hard time uh, finding a better group than the music uh, students. They, right. They really did pull, yeah. pull together for me. <laughs> That's a great story. Hey, Shannon Hines, who produces the show, was telling me that uh, you are responsible for the student trustee parking spot in the in, in the parking lot out by the W building. Tell me, tell me the story there. That's got to be true. Got to be something. This is, in fact, a true story. So, um, once I became the student trustee. Uh, there were two very nice parking spots right next to what used to be the the police building. And they were labeled uh, trustee parking only. And so I took it upon myself as a a member of the board to park there. And I had a a 95 Jeep Wrangler with a soft top. And I just don't think the optics looked that good. You know, my beat up old Jeep sitting in the trustee parking lot. And people would look at me real strange when I would get out of my car. So anyways, uh, one day I was asked, very politely, I should add, you know, could you only park in that parking spot when you're here doing trustee duties as opposed to when you're just being a student? Because it was the closest parking to the music building. It was sure. amazing. We all know how important parking is on campus oh, yeah. around here. So, so I said, of course, yes, I'll, I'll park um, in another lot. And no more than a few days after they had me move, I had a guitar in my car while I ran to class. And somebody stole my guitar out of my car. Oh, no. And so the police felt terrible. And the person who told me to not park in the parking spot anymore, I think, felt really terrible that, you know, these two events seemed almost like they were uh, related. And so they came up with a nice uh, way of making me feel better, which is they said, we'd like to make a special parking spot just for the student trustee. (laughs) 
<laughs> which, which I thought was a, a very nice gesture. And of course, I accepted it. So I parked in, in the student trustee parking spot for the rest of the year. It's the same sign. So as I came into campus today, I was, you know, so tempted to park there. But it's not my spot it's anymore. It's not your spot anymore. But yeah. it was one of my legacies as a student trustee that um, thanks to my stolen guitar, I, uh, we now have a student trustee parking spot at Harper College. That's great. Was the guitar ever recovered? You know it. So a couple years later, I really missed that guitar. It was a blue Dan Electro guitar with a sparkle finish. And I just needed it for a recording project that I was working on. I thought, I'm going to go buy another one. And so there was a shop. It was a couple towns away, and I knew they dealt in in that type of guitar. So I went in, and I started playing some things off the wall. And I actually saw a guitar that looked like my guitar. And so I picked it off the wall, and I started playing. And as I was running my hand up and down the neck, I felt a little bit of a divot in the, the neck. And I thought, no way. This is my guitar. Yeah. And I didn't recognize it because my guitar was covered in stickers. Sure. So I flipped the guitar over on the back. And sure enough, the name of the person who sold it to me was still written on the top of the headstock. This is my guitar. So I'm sitting in a shop holding my guitar after it's been stolen, you know, three years prior. And so... I got really excited. I walked outside. I called the police. They got the police report from Harper College. And uh, within about half an hour, uh, the police walked into the store with me, and I walked out with my my guitar. Oh, wow. You actually got the guitar back? They, they had to give it back to you? They gave it back to that's me. A, no questions asked. They said, hey, amazing. that's your guitar, man. You take it. I still have it to this day. I'll never, ever sell that guitar. It's just too good of a story. That's amazing. Because something like that, that's like a real violation. Like, I, I'm a cyclist, and I've had two bikes stolen. And it's like, oh, what have you done to me? You uh, know, so having your guitar stolen, yeah. It's absolutely. the worst feeling. And, you yeah. know, I guess, like, when I pass away, we should probably bury it under underneath the student trustee parking spot or something. <laughs> that's such a great story, but I'm so glad that you got your guitar back and you still get to play it. That's that's uh, that's fantastic. I still have my guitar that I, I saved up forever for to buy when I was 14 years old, and that thing's not ever going anywhere. So be Wow, what type that, of guitar is it? It's a, it's a really strange guitar. It's a um, it's It was manufactured by Gibson, but designed by Wayne Charvel. And so it's called an SR-71, and they only made a couple hundred of them. It's a, wow. it's a strange little electric, kind of a Stratocaster style, but uh, cool. um, strange, strange guitar. But anyway, um, after Harper College, where, where did you go? What was this educational path that you took? Because I know that you eventually wound up with a PhD, right? So, I mean, you went, you went all the way, right? That's so. it. That's it. So um, the bulk of my time here at Harper was focused on transferring to a four-year program. Mm -hmm. And I applied to five different schools. And where I ultimately ended up transferring to was Elmhurst College, now Elmhurst University. Okay. And the really nice thing about that is my guitar instructor, Steve Savato, from Harper, was also teaching at Elmhurst. So it was about as seamless of a transition as you could make. But there was, there was a reason that I chose Elmhurst because it, the other schools that I had applied to, for example, UCLA, um, I would have been a guitarist. I would have had to do classical guitar all day, all night. Whereas at Elmhurst, I sat down with, with some of the professors and I said, hey, how would you feel if I did a little bit of jazz? And how would you feel if I did a little bit of composition? And mm -hmm. how would you feel if I did a second degree in psychology? And the answer was yes, 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 no problem. Right. And so this is why I chose Elmhurst. And while I was there, I was sort of bringing music into all these related disciplines. But the one that really clicked was music and psychology. And I started doing research on music and emotion and why music makes us feel a certain way and why we turn to music when we're feeling bad and trying to, you know, deal with certain things or music and memories. And so uh, I, f I found this new passion for doing psychology research on the topic of music, and that led me to uh, 
read a book one day. It was a, a new book. It was actually, it was Amazon spam. You know, <laughs> Amazon says, you might like these books. You might like these books, right. <laughs> There's this book, uh, it's called Sweet Anticipation, The Psychology of Music and Expectation by David Huron. And so I bought that book and I loved that book. And as I closed the book on the very last page, I said, this is the book I always wanted to write. I'm going to call this guy right now. Sure. So I went online, and he's got a website, and he's got an office phone number, and it's probably 1 in the morning, and I called him. And I was thinking, as it's ringing, I hope he doesn't pick up the phone. Right. And if he didn't, thank goodness. But it was a voicemail, and I, I sort of laid it out in the voicemail. I said, look, this is, this is an amazing book. I don't know how you learned how to do these things and how to do this type of research, but this is exactly what I want to do. So please call me back if you've got you know, some openings in, in your research lab. And he did. And so I went to Ohio State. I did a master's degree in music theory and a PhD in music theory doing this music cognition thing. And, uh, and that's how I ended up with a PhD in music theory. That's fantastic. But see, that's the thing is that, you know, we talk about being lucky and talking to the right people at the right time. You were, um, I don't like the word brave, but you were brave enough to make that phone call because a lot of people wouldn't make that phone call. Right. And, and one time I was at a conference and the uh, president of iHeartRadio was there and he put his personal cell phone number up on the screen for the 200 people that were sitting in the room and he said I put this up here because the ones of you who will actually call me are people I want to hire and the rest of you won't ever bother to pick up the phone and call and I was like wow what a thing to do and it really was his personal cell phone number and two or three kids in that group made phone calls and wound up with gigs so you know it's that kind is of a- <laughs> amazing but you know that's it I mean it really Every now and then you have to take a daring leap, and uh, that's one of my daring leaps that yeah. I just told you about. And, yep, it's, it's exactly right. You've, you've got to know in your heart that you're, the effort that you're about to put in is worth the sort of risks of feeling rejected or ignored. And, and yeah, you just go for it. You just go for it, yeah. So how did we get from a Ph.D. and being a professor to living in Canada and working for Sibelius? How does that path ah, cool. work Cool. All right. Well, yeah. I, I have to back up because this is typically the way the story goes, and it skips over an important period of my life. Uh-oh. Which is I, I – um, <laughs> In my last year of doing my doctorate, I was writing my dissertation. It was coming along. I had done some research. Um, but I started applying for jobs because academic jobs are really, really hard to find. Yes. It's a needle in a haystack. Mm-hmm. And so you start early while you still got time and a safety net of you know having graduate funding. And I got lucky. My first year, I got an interview. I got invited to campus, and I landed a tenure-track job. Great. And I had to compress my dissertation then as fast as I could. I spent a month solid, not doing anything except for writing. And it was it was an amazing time. And But that was why I went to grad school, to become a music theory professor so I could do my own research, so I could teach. And, and that was that. And so I landed that amazing job. I was 27 years old. And I quickly learned that academia is a tough place for a young person. Yes. You know? You, you, I think young people want to change. They want to do things the new way. They sort of see a path. And change can be slow in, in academia. Very. You know, you take your time. <laughs> so, so I found academia to be a bit of a, a frustrating uh, place. But at the same time, um, I was doing cool research. I had the freedom to do cool things. And uh, the problem was I ended up with a classic academia problem, which is the two-body problem. So I had met my girlfriend at the time, and she, was, uh, she had a university position in Montreal. 
And I spent a lot of my time as a professor trying to find music theory jobs in Montreal. Right. Applying to anything that came up, got close, a couple of interviews, just never quite made the cut. And at some point, you just have to say, you know, I'm going to wait forever or I'm just going to move out there and figure out what I'm going to do. And so I requested a leave of absence for my academic position and I moved to Canada as a student. It's the only way I could get into the country. Right, right, right. So I retrained as a, as a computer scientist. I did a one-year program thinking that maybe, you know, I could find a job in Canada. I didn't know if it'd be in music or not. But uh, so that's what I did. I moved to Canada. I followed my heart and uh, retrained as a computer scientist. And sure enough, at the end of my program, you know, just finishing things up, the Sibelius team opens this position. And they're looking for somebody who can teach computers how to read and write music. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, this is, this is it. The perfect job. This is exactly right, what right. I was doing, except for rather than teaching humans, I'm teaching computers. And uh, so that's how I ended up on Sibelius. But it, I had to go through this whole period of my life of doing what I thought I wanted to do and finding out that maybe it wasn't the right thing or the right time for me. And then realizing that love is more important. There are things that are more important than work. <laughs> and you just got to follow your heart and figure it out. That's great. So um, t- tell our listeners, you know, obviously I know because I work in the industry, but what does Sibelius do and, and what do you do for them besides teach computers to read music? So <laughs> Cool. So Sibelius describes simply is like a Microsoft Word for music notation. Right. So a composer who wants to create a score in parts for a, a group of musicians to play would use our software in order to make that score or part. Now, it's a composition tool. It's a tool for arranging. It's a tool for orchestrating. It's a tool for educators to make worksheets for their music classes. So a wide range of people use Sibelius. Now, as I joined the team, I came in as a developer. So I spent two years just doing development, uh, you know, teaching Sibelius how to properly place notes or accidentals or sharps and flats on a Mm -hmm. piece of paper. Thereafter, I started doing a bit of design work, and this was this was something I was not trained how to do. I had to sort of learn the concepts of design on the fly. And thereafter, doing a bit of what my official scrum role is a product owner, but it's essentially product management uh, on the technical side or on the sort of tactical side. And so that's what I do now. I actually serve three roles for the team. I serve as the product owner, um, where I act as the voice of the customer. And I do a little bit of design and I do a little bit of software development as well. That sounds like fun. It sounds like it's a challenge every day, yeah? It's the hat trick of, yeah. of uh, Sibelius. Yeah. <laughs> I score three, three goals every day. Three goals every day. It's a, lot of, it's a lot of multitasking, but it's also a lot of fun, too. It sounds like it. So how do you like Montreal? Oh, Montreal is amazing. So... <laughs> If you I've have, been once. I've been once. So, yeah. Great, great. Yeah. yeah. I tell everybody, now um, is a great time to go to Montreal. The exchange rate is killer. Um, <laughs> it, but it's, it's, it's a short hop from the Chicago area. It's, you can get a direct flight into Montreal. It feels like you've landed in Europe when you go down to the old yep. port. Um, you climb the mountain, and you sort of feel like you're like in some sort of nature park, but you're in the middle of a big urban city. Mm-hmm. It's just a really magical place, and we haven't even started talking about the food yet. So. The bagels. The, oh, oh, yes. Oh, man, the bagels. <laughs> it's. I, I should caution people. I mean, like, if you've never had a Montreal bagel, you might have to change your definition of bagel a little. Right, right. In the same way that Chicago pizza maybe sort of pushes the boundaries of the definition of, of what pizza. pizza is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
definitely. One of the things that I was really struck by when I was in Montreal is how almost everyone seamlessly transitions from English to French and back again. Oh, when, yeah, yeah, during a conversation. Dans la même, yeah. <laughs> Dans la même phrase. We, yeah, we just kick into two languages all the time. C'est com- complètement fou. It's, it's incroyable. You can never just get one person to stay down the même langue on the même fois. It's tellement fun. It's quite, I mean, just, you know, being in a restaurant and the server comes over and starts <laughs> speaking to you completely in English, right? And then another server speaks to her and she turns her head and speaks to her completely in French and without missing a beat comes back to you. And it, it just blows me away, the, the fluency of that and how... Um, and how that works there. So Montreal very much, it, it's almost like it's become the language of Montreal to mm-hmm. sort of speak two languages at once. And we've got certain expressions that are, are pretty heavy and funny. But uh, it is, it's a great place to practice French. The problem is everybody you run into will want to practice their English too. Sure. And so it's, uh, you sort of have to insist that we're going we're gonna to go into to French. Uh, so one of my hobbies is that I also fly airplanes. Oh, wow. Okay. And the thing that impresses me most about Montreal is the air traffic control is in two languages. Oh. And you have these air traffic controllers moving, you know, airplanes full of people in the sky without even batting an eye, switching between two languages. And it's it's just part of the culture. It's just part of the way it goes. That's pretty amazing. It makes the art the art, the art scene really cool, too, because I think the Franco community wants to one-up the Anglo community in terms of arts. And so you end up with just gorgeous uh, murals on buildings and street art and sculptures and it's uh, it's a totally alive place. Montreal's great. If you've, if you've never been, definitely yeah. put it on the How list. How long have you been there now? Six, seven years. Seven years? Okay. It's, uh, yeah, great place. I, I, I am with you. I would encourage everybody to take a visit to Montreal. It's worth it alone just for the bagels, but you know, that's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Maybe you so, don't feel that way. I, no, no, I do. No. I, what, I, I, I mean, <laughs> I remember as I was going back and forth and doing the two-body problem and commuting to Montreal every six weeks or so, I would always come back with a suitcase stuffed full of bagels for yeah. the freezer. Yeah, it's the best. It's the best. I wish I would have known, Brian, I would have brought you a whole <laughs> roll. Next time I'm in town. Yeah, I had my I had my daughter there. I, it was several years ago. We were doing a trip. We were going across Canada. We went up uh, um, all, all, as far as you could go and. Uh, and uh, the Bay of Fundy, you know, and everything. And uh, oh, then we wow. came back through Montreal. And um, it was it was great. It was a totally unplanned stop going through Montreal. It wasn't planned on the trip. And it was it, it was really, really made the trip. We had a great time there. So Driving was, in Montreal, if you don't speak French, is a bit of a, a hazard. I wouldn't yes. caution anybody to, to take public transit <laughs> until you can figure out how to read the signs. Yeah, it took a bit. It took. I was kind of panicked studying French on the drive in. You know what I mean? So yeah. I had some friends who found a great parking spot. And they were trying to tell me what the sign said, and I was like, you guys better go move your car right now <laughs> before the fire truck shows up. That's great. So uh, the day we're recording this is the day where we induct the distinguished alumni into the Hall of Fame. And so that was today. How, how was how was that? How'd that make you feel? Well, so I mean, I mean, you mentioned a little bit earlier, but, you know, how'd that make you feel? Well, so we've had the lunch. The, the ceremony is this tonight. Oh, tonight, tonight. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I, but I mean, I have strong feelings already from from the moment I got the phone call until now. It's sort of been um, it's been a humbling experience. I just I think there have been so many impressive people that have come out of this uh, college and you can find them looking online just there's been so many accomplished people and I just feel like um, I'm just sort of getting started and getting things off the ground so I'm, I'm really touched and honored and I just can't even believe that I'm here today to to accept this award that's great 
fantastic. I look forward to, uh, to to you receiving that this evening uh, or the day that we're recording this anyway. You know, so yeah, always trouble with dates when you're doing a podcast. <laughs> something that's going to play back later. So um, I always ask everyone who's here. You know, what community college is weird, right? So people come to community colleges for different reasons. Um, some of them good, some of them bad. <laughs> you know, so uh, and people have perceptions about community college. And I, I guess I'm curious. What advice you might give someone who is either a thinking about coming to Harper College, uh, or um, is here and not really sure if they're doing the right thing? That's a really good question. I'm gonna have to think for a second about the most important thing to say. You know, I, I just feel like when you're a student, you will be in a place for, say, two years or three mm-hmm. or four years. You know, it, it just depends. But in the end, it's not a lot of time. Right. Where you'll spend most of your time is, you know, as you build your career and you go on. I mean, there's there's a big difference between student life and the life that comes thereafter where <laughs> it's very much the same thing day to day. It's not the super rapid, fast-paced 16-week semester. And so I would say that wherever you go, try to make the most of the opportunities that are around you for that short period of time, even if it means, you know, not sleeping as much or putting in more effort or <laughs> or just, I mean, really working hard. And students do work hard. Uh, just know that it's for a concentrated short period of time in your life, and it's an investment that will pay off as soon as you're done for the rest of your career, for the rest of your life. Yeah, a little bit of pain. Uh, goes a long way, right? <laughs> a little bit of suffering goes a long way. When so. I was teaching, though, I remember seeing students sort of struggle around exam times and, you know, when big projects would come mm-hmm. up. And you, would, you could see it on their faces. And <laughs> I would say something which they didn't like to hear. But it's true, and I think we should, we should just be honest about it, which is you'll never have more free time than you do right now. Right. And they look at you like you're crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they haven't slept. They're hungry. There's all these things. But... You think, you know, you're going to get older. You're going to take on responsibilities in terms of a house or, you know, a car. You're going to, you might have kids. Uh, you might have uh, somebody in your family get sick. And next thing you know, just all of your time is gone mm-hmm. and you're just doing the bare minimum. So I think going to school to block out two years, four years, to just focus on you and investing in yourself, that's a magical time. And, uh, yeah, you gotta, you got to make the most of it. You really do. Well, I thank you so much um, for being on the show today. It was great to talk to you. I'm so happy that you got your guitar back because I was afraid that story was going to have a sad ending. Just a parking spot. <laughs> Just a parking spot. <laughs> no, it's back and safe and sound. I will say that oh, every time I pull into that parking lot and that parking spot is empty, I'm like, I should just go ahead and park there. You know, what are they going to do? You know, give me a ticket? I don't know. I know, thought the so. same thing today. And uh, <laughs> it was so tempting to, you know, scratch the word former student trustee on, on, the, uh, on the sign. Just put a sticker on there. That is not for me. <laughs> not for you. All right. Thanks so much for being here. I appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. Joe Plezak is a graduate of Harper College and a 2022 Distinguished Alumni. If you're enjoying Harper Talks, please subscribe, and while you're at it, rate and review us so that others might find us. Harper Talks is a co-production of Harper College Alumni Relations and Harper Radio. Our show is produced by Shannon Hines. This episode was edited uh, by me, Brian Shelton. Our online content producer is Erica Berger. Our theme music was created by Aiden Cashman, a music student at Harper College. And I'm Brian Shelton. Thanks for listening. 